This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, Welcome, everyone, once again to Evidence for Faith. This is the Christian radio show where we teach you how to defend the truth of Christianity. And this is the place to come when things are looking down, when the news is bad and society seems like it's falling apart, government's not headed in the right direction, maybe even your life is not doing so good. We talk about the foundations that make for a happy life, for a workable community, and for good government. So this is the place to get optimistic about life. We talk about the evidences for Christianity and the foundation that that leaves for people's lives and for society as a whole to make your life better and to make society better. My name is Keith Kendricks, and with me is author and apologist, Kirk Hastings. Hi, Keith. Kirk, you didn't know you were an apologist. Yeah, I just found that out today. (laughs) (laughs) You are a defender of Christianity, and that makes you an apologist. Okay. Does it mean I'm going around apologizing to everybody? It does not, (laughs) no. Actually, now's the time to explain to people what being an apologist is, then. Well, being a, an apologist in the way we're using it, of course, is someone who examines the evidence and makes arguments for something, right. which is what we do here. That's right. We present the evidence, and we give you the arguments. So if you disagree with Christianity, this show is for you. But if you are a Christian and you want to learn how to defend Christianity, how to promote Christianity, this is also the show for you, because we'll be teaching you the evidences, and the arguments. Today, we're going to be covering one of the bigger arguments, the problem of evil. What is the problem of evil? That's a biggie. A lot of people have a problem with religion in general because of that question. Yeah. So what's the problem? What what is the problem of evil? The problem is it's here. (laughs) Yeah. And we have to explain it in uh, Why do we have to explain relation it? to a good God. Ah, there's the rub. If God is good, why is there evil? Yeah, that's, that's the right. Question. That's the problem of evil. <clears throat> Atheists will say that uh, because there's so much evil in the world, there can't be a good God. Right. So is that true? Is that... Uh, the short answer, no. <laughs> no, and that's what we're going to get into. Uh, So, Evidence for Faith is the show. Our website, check us out on the website, evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com. And you can uh, look at our podcasts and see the past shows. In fact, I was looking over the statistics, and uh, I have a list of the top ten past shows. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is going to be a top 10 countdown. These are the most popular? Yes. Or the, the most best? popular. 
the, the most the listened to. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, it's surprising because I would not have picked these in order of like if what I thought was the best shows or something like that. I mean, oh. some of them are some of our better shows, but some of them, I think it's has a lot to do with the title. You know, if the title looks interesting, then people click on it to listen to it. Right. The statistics don't tell me if people listen through the whole show. You know, they might be clicking on it, listening for 10 minutes and going, oh, well, this isn't, this show's not what I thought it was. And, you know, but at least we know. If you have a catchy title, you're in. Apparently. That's how they sell books, too. That's true. They say that 90% of selling a book is the front cover. If you can get a front cover that grabs people, you could have a crappy novel, but it'll sell like hotcakes. Right, right. Well, now, um, we'll talk about, since mentioning books, we'll talk about your book a little later, but let's just get through these top 10 shows. Okay. Okay. Number 10, Arguments Against Evolution. Okay. Do you remember that one? You were in that show. Okay. Yeah. So well, that's a famous topic. Right. So that's a good, that's a catchy title, right? That was right. number 10. Number nine, The Search for the Historical Jesus. Okay. That's a good topic. Number eight, Are There Errors in the Greek Text? Okay. Okay. So if you want to know about that, you can click on that one, go to our podcast section and listen to that one. Now, all these shows are on the uh, the website, That's so right. people can go listen to these and see why they were so popular. That's right. Or on iTunes. If you have iTunes and you'd like to load it up onto your iPod or some other kind of MP3 player or your phone, I guess a lot of phones now can oh, wow. do that. You can get it right from iTunes. Great. Number seven was the interview with Dr. Gary Habermas. Okay. And he's the expert on the resurrection. Right. Uh, number six was the interview with Nabil Qureshi. Okay. Do you know who he is? Uh, I might have missed that one. Okay. Yeah, he is the guy, the missionary, the apologist who got arrested in oh. Dearborn. Okay, I did hear about that. Yeah, you heard yes. the news. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, we d- he did his first live he interview. He was arrested for sharing the gospel in public. That's correct. That's a no-no in our in, secular society. Well, in well, this is specifically Dearborn, Michigan, uh, at Arab Fest. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Well, that explains a lot, <laughs> right? So, uh, so, and this was his first live interview that, following. That's like sharing Christianity at an atheist convention. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to have a popular, little controversy there. Yeah, you're not the most popular guy in town. So, uh, and he's a Good former. For him, yeah, he's a former Muslim. Uh, oh, great. Yeah. yeah. So. so he can really relate to them then. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's the best way to do it. That's the best way to be an apologist. Mm-hmm. So number five, where did the Bible come from? Okay. So that was number one for a while. My local Christian bookstore. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Aunt Gertrude sent me one. That's where, <laughs> that's where the Bible comes from. Uh, well, actually, of course, it's about how we got the... Bible right. that we have. How do we? How do we have the New Testament? Right. Who wrote why it? Not, how was it assembled? Right. All that why kind not of fun stuff? Right. Why yeah. not the Gospel of Thomas? Why not some of these other Gnostic Gospels that you hear about? Right. So that's that, and that's a that's a very important one that Christians need to know about. Okay. Number four is the Bible accurate? Okay. Another important topic. Number three, the interview with Paul Copan. So author, uh, philosopher, um, terrific guy. Mm-hmm. Number two, the universe is not infinitely old. Oh. Yeah, that's an important topic to know. That interests a lot of people. Huh? And dun, da, da, dun, we need some uh, 
a drum roll. Yeah, some kind of dun 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 Well, our sound engineer is looking for something, but doesn't have anything. We'll have the to number get Rick Rock on here one of these days. He's got all kinds of sound effects. He probably has his own drum set. Yes. <laughs> number one is the search for the historical resurrection. Oh. That was the okay. most popular. No kidding. So, yeah. That's, yeah, surprise. And and one of the po- most popular ones is a show that we did in the past on the problem of evil. But that's not in the top ten. But maybe after today. Maybe it will be next year. It will be. Yeah, maybe <laughs> next month it will be because we're going to be talking about that today. The problem of evil. No one ever talks about the problem of good. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, and you know what? That is a problem, though. It's Good. a problem for an atheist. Exactly. Because how do right. you explain it if there's no, yes. you know, there's no good God? Then where does where good does goodness come from? right? Where do moral absolutes come from? Right. We could make another show out of that. Yes, we could. Yes, we could. And we have actually done. We have done the topic. We didn't call it the problem of good. You know, that <laughs> that's a catchy title, though. But we did do um, moral absolutes and where do they come from? And we'll right. be we have that on the schedule for some future shows too. Well, if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. I'm Kirk Hastings, guest host for the week. And we're going to be talking today about solving the problem of evil. If you'd like to call in, you can reach us at 609-398-1020. And the call letters of this station. That's right. Or you can email us. We have our email account open live for those who want to email in questions. You Boy, the sim- technology today is amazing, isn't it? That's right. So you simply send an email to kkendricks at evidenceforfaith.com, and that email will come straight here. Well, the problem of evil is something that atheists claim is the strongest argument for their side. Okay. The strongest argument that God does not exist. Right. That's what atheists claim. And it's been a problem that's been around, you know, obviously philosophers have thought about this for a long time, and it's been written up in a lot of literature. Uh, There's a really interesting discussion of this problem in the Brothers Karamazov, Mm -hmm. where these two brothers talk about, one of the brothers is is an atheist, and they, they're talking about this problem. Why is there evil, and how, how is it compatible with God being present, a good God? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, the brother says that I, I think is really interesting is if the devil doesn't exist and man has created him, then he created him in his own image. It's kind of a flip on that idea of is God created by man? Did God create? Did man create God right. in his own image? This brother, the atheist brother, says, "Well, if there's a devil, that devil was he looks created. more like us than God does." Exactly, <laughs> and, which doesn't say too much for us, does it? Yeah. And okay, Tom is telling us our caller dropped off, so we will uh, keep going here. So. Um, you know, they discuss uh, uh, the true cruelty that's out there in the world. They, they discuss 
the revolution, the um, problems that were happening in Russia. This takes place in Russia at the time uh, where the factions fighting were doing things like cutting open pregnant women and taking their babies out and uh, throwing them up in the air and catching them on a bayonet. You know, all those yeah. horror yeah. stories that you you hear about. This is during the Russian Revolution, is that right? I believe this is before the Russian Revolution, before but I, I actually did read Brothers Karamazov, but it's been many years, and I'm not quite sure if this takes place after the Russian Revolution or if this is some of the fighting that's going on before okay. uh, with the Tsar and all that. Right. So, but... Um, uh, there's even a very, very um, uh, shocking description of uh, someone who a a captain of a of a squad who is terrorizing some villagers and gets a a baby to to laugh and and uh, and encourages the baby to giggle and laugh and and then has the baby play with the end of his pistol and gets the baby laughing again. And during what this time, while he's getting the baby to laugh and giggle, he pulls the trigger <laughs> and blows the baby's head away. <laughs> and, you know, see... Um, it sounds like the kind of movies we make today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's really, he's really bringing out the kind of really awful... Incredibly depraved evil. Evil. That is uh, a not real just stupidity thing. or yes. you know ignorance, but naked, true wickedness. Right, right. That doesn't make any rational sense at that's all. That's right, and and so um, that that's the kind of evil that atheists are talking about. If this kind of really grievous evil exists, mm-hmm. how is it that God, the kind of God that Christians describe, doesn't do something? about it right and it's an argument that that different kinds of atheists use you've got your affirming atheist who says that there is evidence that god does not exist like kind of describe that as a hard hard atheist Mm -hmm. whose claims that this is evidence but even the more friendly atheist the kind who says well i'm not sure if god doesn't exist but at least uh there's no evidence that he does exist, and they'll even use this kind of argument too. So, uh, so let's break it down now. Let's get more into the meat of this problem of evil. It comes in different forms. Okay, it comes in the problem, kind of the logical problem. Now, you yourself have written on this logical problem mm-hmm. of evil. Uh, you've, we've got a. Uh, um, manuscript that you've written up, an unpublished manuscript called The Garden of Good and Evil. In fact, today our notes are are coming from your manuscript, um, some notes on uh, a lecture by Garrett DeWeese and uh, an article by uh, Chad Meister and Calvin Beisner. So all talking about this problem of evil and how do we as Christians deal with it? Mm-hmm. So, so there's that you address this kind of logical um, argument. I approach from evil. it from the direction that most 
uh, people that use this as uh, an argument for the non-existence of God, they say that uh, it doesn't make logical sense if God exists and God is good and evil exists, that those three things are incompatible logically, and can't all be true at the same time. Right, logically con contradictory. In other words, since there is evil in the world, one of the other two things has to not be true. Either right. God is not exists and is not good, or God doesn't exist at all. Right. And we're going to get into that in more uh, in-depth. But there's another... And on the surface, that sounds like a reasonable question. But yeah. the manuscript that I wrote about it, and it's only a couple of pages long, shows that if you look at this question a little closer, it the logic breaks down in that argument. Right. And that's what we're going to get into. Right. But there's also another variation of this problem where... Uh, atheists will say, okay, well, maybe it's not a true contradiction, but at least it's strong evidence against the existence of God. Mm -hmm. And so you claim that you've got evidence that God exists. Well, I claim I've got evidence that God doesn't exist, and this evidence is stronger than your evidence. Right. So that's the evidential argument from evil. Okay. But then along with this topic, there's also this the real uh, problem, the uh, what we call the existential problem of evil, and that is that that even though you might have an answer, even though there is maybe not a logical contradiction, you've still got the problem of what do you do with evil? Mm -hmm. Okay, now you say there is a good God who does exist, and yet there's evil. What do we do? What do we do when the neighbor down the street finds out that their four-year-old child has leukemia and has only nine months to live. Mm -hmm. What do we do? How do we handle that? What is there to say about it? And we're going to get into that hopefully a little bit also. Okay. So, um, so let's get into just exactly what the logical argument is. What is the logical argument? We'll be using some... Uh, explanation by an atheist of British philosopher by the name of J.L. Mackey, and uh, he describes this in an article called Evil and Omnipotence. You know, maybe I should mention, too, that based on what you just said, mm -hmm. uh, I should point out that uh, part of my argument for this entails that even if we do find a rational, reasonable explanation for evil existing and God being good at the same time, that doesn't necessarily make evil things easier to deal with. Evil is a very yes. nasty thing. And right. your example of the four-year-old down the block with terminal cancer, even if we can explain why something like that might happen, that doesn't. we're not necessarily saying it's going to make it easier to deal with circumstances like right. that. Right, right. You know, the very nature of evil is it's a rotten, nasty thing, and it's not a pleasant thing to deal with whether you can explain it or not. We're not here to say that, oh, evil isn't that big a deal, and, you know, if you have terminal cancer or you're, you've lost an arm in mm -hmm. a car accident or whatever, that, oh, no big deal, don't worry about it. That's not what we're saying. Exactly That's a right. different topic. Exactly right. The nature of evil and how nasty it is is a totally different topic, really, than what we're talking about now. Which but, is trying to find a logical reason to explain why there is such a thing. But once we know 
that there is a logical reason once we know that the God of Christianity is the answer and does have a, a logical answer to the problem of real evil in our lives, mm-hmm. then we can now look to the revelation of Christianity in the Bible mm-hmm. and see what kinds of answers there are, what kinds of um, bomb or salve mm-hmm. that there might be there mm-hmm. as we deal with these very real and very tough and very troubling issues. Right. Kind of like if you are a four-year-old and you're you say you you're or, sick to your stomach and you feel really nasty. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to go to your parents for comfort. Right. It may not necessarily take the stomach ache away right away. That's right. But you feel better because you have somebody to go to. Excellent. Christianity says the same thing. It says, "Okay, what you're going through may genuinely be tough circumstances, but there is someone and something to go to." Right. Excellent. That's what we're saying. Exactly right. All right, so um, so what's the logical argument then? Well, here's what Mackey says. He says it's not that religious beliefs lack rational support. Mm-hmm. He says that they are positively irrational. Okay? So he's saying okay. that yeah, belief in God is irrational, that the various parts of theological, the theological doctrine of God are inconsistent with one another. Okay? Okay. The theology maintains the position as a whole only by a much more extreme rejection of reason, and therefore it should be rejected itself. So um, uh, we've got to prepare then not merely to um, prove our point, but we have to also show why it's logically consistent. Okay. So, um, here's what he's saying. If I say, well, Kirk, you know, um, my car, uh, it got smashed to bits today. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a wrecking ball hit it and just trashed it to bits. But you weren't in it. I wasn't in it, yeah. Well, that's one good thing. And then I go out into the parking lot. You see me later going out into the parking lot uh, looking for my car. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be irrational? If you knew that it was sitting in the junkyard in pieces, yes. Yeah. You wouldn't go out in the parking lot looking for it. Right. So that's what he's saying. He's saying that um, that the Christian view is so irrational that it's like that. It's it's like that we can logically know that God doesn't exist and yet Christians still are looking for him. They're still they're still claiming that he exists. Okay. I have some problems with that argument, but we'll Well, let's see. Go on here. So um is it rational? Is it irrational to keep looking for it? Yes, it, it would be irrational. Okay. Sure, it would. So he's so what he's doing is attempting to prove that the existence of God is logically incompatible. Okay. okay. Now, if he's successful, then he's truly going to disprove um, God's existence. All right. So it's like saying that's a pretty tough thing to do in itself. 
Well, no. Well, it depends. There's a lot of people that you can disprove lots of things by logic. Let's say the existence of the square circle. Okay. Can I prove that there are no such things as square circles? Um, I'm not sure what you your yes, answer I to can. that would be. But I would say no, you can't because yes, I that's can. a nonsense question. There's no such thing as a square circle because a circle, the definition but, of a circle is it's not square. That's, so that would be it's my a argument. nonsense question to begin with that you can't answer. But I haven't asked a question. I've made a statement that I can prove that there are no such things as square circles. Okay. You agree? Uh, <laughs> do I believe that you can? Or w yeah. what exactly is the question? Can I, I prove? I, I would say I don't believe that. Prove it to me. And then I would go through the logical arguments of proving that there is no such thing as a square circle. Right. And it would prove it. It would be true. And wouldn't it be irrational for me I then like to, to hear those arguments? <laughs> well, you just gave one yourself. Which was? That there is no such thing as square circles. Right. Okay. That's one of the arguments that there So how does that prove that there's such a thing as a square circle? <laughs> I, I'm not saying that there is such a thing as a square circle. I'm saying that I can oh. prove that there is no such thing as a square circle. Oh, okay. Okay. I got you. I'm, I'm thinking the you're other with way me, I was with thinking me now? you're trying to prove that there is such a thing as a square circle. Nope. Okay, I got you. All right. Now, and then if I kept looking for square circles, wouldn't that be irrational? Yes, definitely. Okay. So That's what insane people do. They say that insane people keep doing the same thing over and over again, even though it doesn't work. Right. So that's the logical argument, and that's what guys, atheists like J.L. Mackey, try to do. They try to prove— But the tough part of that is they have to prove, first of all, in order to make you a nutcase, they have to prove that God doesn't exist. Right. And that's a hard argument to prove. That's why there are so many people that say, well, I'm an agnostic. I'm not sure. He might exist, but I can't prove it one way or the other. At least they're halfway honest in saying, I don't know. Right. But for somebody to dogmatically say there is no God anywhere in the universe in any way, shape, or form, that's a very hard statement to completely prove. Right. Well, you you actually can't. Which is can't, why I, we should always have a little wiggle room there. And at least the agnostic has a, a little wiggle room. He says, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, yeah. A, a quick answer to that is that um, the person's making a... A universal negative. Right. There is no God, and a universal negative can never be proved. Right. Unless you've been everywhere in the universe, how can you prove That's that? That's right. And and to assert, therefore, a universal negative is itself an act of irrationality. Okay, so we, we now just saw— We would say that. Yes, There That's are right. people that so wouldn't say that, but we say that. <laughs> well, because it's true. Yes. You are, if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. I'm Kirk Hastings. And we are talking about the problem of evil and how uh, Christianity deals with this issue of if there is so much evil in the world, how can there be a good God? Mm -hmm. If you'd like to call us to agree with us, disagree with us, or ask questions, you can reach us at 609-398-1020, 398-1020, if you are listening live. So that would be in the South Jersey area. Or you could be listening live on WIBG.com. So if you're if you're caught us in the car and you've driven home now and you want to get out of the car so you can do whatever you can. Safely use your cell phone. 
safely use your cell phone or use your computer at home now. Do not use to, it while you're driving. To uh, no, no, I was talking about the wibg.com. Okay. All right. So now there's this other version of the problem of evil, and that's the evidential argument. Okay. Okay. So this argument is somewhat weaker. Okay. It's kind of like a in a court of law. All right, where you go by preponderance of evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, where it's just the balancing of the evidence. Okay. okay? Now, what's explain what the exact difference is between the logical argument and the evidential argument? Well, we went over the logical argument. That is that claiming that there is a true contradiction, that there's a logical contradiction, and it is therefore irrational to believe in God. Okay. All right. Because so this of the is problem totally of evil. The, the, uh, and this is logical just argument is totally an intellectual process where correct. I work it out in my head that one plus one can't equal three. Correct. But it has nothing to do with evidence or what the real world shows me. Exactly. Now we're saying, okay, now I'm going to look at the circumstances in the real world and see what does the evidence show. That's right. Okay. So I'm gonna. So the idea is that there may be, there might be some evidence for God's existence. Right. Okay. For instance, throughout history, most people have believed that that uh, in God or in some kind of God of some sort, and so that can be argued that that is evidence that He exists. Mm-hmm. But but weigh it against all the evidence of evil that we know about, and that tips the scale. They'll claim heavily against the existence of God. So Unless it, you believe in an evil god. <laughs> well, that is actually one of the solutions is a possi- is the possibility of an evil god. So we'll have right. to address that. Or a too. god that has no standards one way or the other. Right, right. So it attempts to show that it's highly improbable to believe in the existence of god. It's kind of a probability argument. Right. And, um, you know, that there's a strong argument against God's existence, but it's not a logical disproof. It's not like the first argument where it's a logical disproof, therefore God absolutely could not exist. This is kind of a, just a um, uh, preponderance of the evidence okay. idea. So, um, And this is the kind of argument that you'll find in most atheistic literature today, because the logical problem of evil has been really rebutted quite successfully in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, so so usually now you're seeing the evidential argument. So then uh, the existential problem is that third realm. That's the, you know, it's a very different, it's a personal issue. It's, you know, we go through periods of intense suffering, and that can sometimes strengthen the faith of an individual, you know, make him a channel of God's blessing for others, mm-hmm. but it can also end up destroying someone's faith sure so you know shriveling up shriveling them up making them a hard bitter person who's Mm -hmm. you know angry at god and angry at other other people and uh and this this aspect of the problem of evil really it's um would you say this is kind of an emotional approach to the situation well it's if you've gone through intense suffering and they you feel like well because of all this suffering I've gone through, God can't possibly be good because I don't feel his goodness. Yeah, that, yeah it's, it's what do we say to these people or what do we think about it ourselves if we're going through it? Right. You know, what do counselors say? If you're a pastor, what do you say to someone in your congregation? Or if you have a friend, 
what do you say? That's the toughest part of it a yep. lot of times. Yep. If you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. I'm Kirk Hastings. We are talking about the problem of evil. So what have been some of the answers? What have been historically some of the uh, answers to this problem? And what are some of the ones that we don't recommend? Let's talk, let's talk about some of the okay. inadequate responses to the problem of evil. Okay. All right. Well, one of them is something, it's got the title Theological Voluntarism. Okay. I'm going to leave this first one to you because I'm not quite sure how this one works myself. All right. Well, what this is is the, is the an- answering and saying that God can do whatever he wants. All right? In other words, Why is there no evil? Standards. God can do whatever he wants. God can be good. God can be evil. So if God wants to bring suffering, then that's his business. Okay. Okay? Right. Now, uh, this He's is— He's amoral. He has no— Or what he does— becomes moral right because he's god okay all right now this is actually the view of islam in the view of islam whatever god does is moral must be right because god did it and exactly (laughs) and and uh the quran uh discusses this as you know acts that we would seemingly think look evil to us uh, are simply acts that god does and they must be right because god did them very interesting. So God can't do anything that is a logical contradiction. He can't make square circles. God can't make a married bachelor. All those things. You know, God can't do them. God, um, so that's contrary to his moral character. He cannot sin. In the Christian view, God cannot lie, cannot break a promise, cannot go back on his word. Right. Okay. So he is a faithful God who is eternally consistent with his own nature. Okay. So by his own moral nature, he has to be committed to certain courses of action, and he's essentially prevented from others. Right? Okay. See, it, it, it can't be counted against him that... Uh, his omnipotence, you know, this this idea, well, he God then can't do anything, right? God can't do something, right? It's kind of like the old argument, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? Right. Okay? Well, the answer is no, because there is no such rock. Same thing right. with evil. Can God... That's an illogical question. Right, and the, and the atheist might say, well, if God can't do something evil, then he's not omnipotent. But this kind of thing really can't be counted against as omnis, um, uh, omnipotence. C.S. Lewis used that argument that uh, um, God is not con- cannot contradict himself. Right. Um, in other words, like you said, he can't create a rock that he can't pick up because that's contradictory, and he can't contradict himself. Right. He doesn't lie because that's contradicting yourself. He, you know, he but can't why, why do then? good one day and evil the next day because that's a contradiction. And if he he's able to contradict himself, he's no longer perfect, and then he's no longer God. Right. Well, then he makes why a whole then? Argument on that. I've heard people say that um, God can do anything. Why doesn't this count against his omnipotence? You know, why why can't you say, well, God's then not all powerful if he can't do evil? 
But to me, that statement doesn't make sense because what you're saying is, okay, God can do anything, which means he can also do nonsense, which makes no sense. <laughs> That's right. And, and, uh, and, and Lewis I would is say as a Christian, he does have limitations. He, he can't do that which is illogical. He can't do that which is nonsense. He can't do that which is contrary to his own nature. Right. And, and Lewis answered that it's because um, anything that involves evil is actually a defect. Right. So, so for God to do something evil would be a defect. So, so therefore, it doesn't right. count against omnipotence. It's not he is all-powerful. To do something evil would be to be less than all-powerful, not be all-powerful. Right. So he is, God's committed to perfect goodness. I've also read C.S. Lewis say that uh, God can do anything that is possible to do. That's what his omnipotence is. Yes. He can do anything that's possible to do, but things that are impossible, such as nonsense or contradictions, he He cannot do. do that. And he cannot do anything which is a defect. Anything right. which is defective, such as evil. Since he's perfect, he can't do anything that's imperfect. That's right. So he can't bring about... So he really does have limitations, in a way. Uh, yeah, but they're not really limitations. Right. right? Yeah, it, they're... It, it, it's, it's a matter of word, you know, semantical. playing with words or yep. semantics, you know, to say one way or the other, but... So he can't bring about evil just because he wants to. Now, some people uh, object to this. They'll say... Well, look at Romans 9 through 11, where it says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Okay, and then it says that, uh, you know, the clay cannot say to the potter, why have you made me this way? Right. You know? So, but if you look at the context of these verses, these verses are talking about dealing with the problem of the election of Israel and uh, how is it that Gentiles are grafted in. That's what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about, um, you know, that God actually hates uh, uh, Esau. He's not right. not really saying that. He's just giving a a description of God making a choice, and that this is really has to do with national and uh, ethnic issues, and doesn't have to do with personal morality. Right. Well, the Bible says over and over again that God hates sin. Absolutely. So he is capable of hating, but he doesn't hate people or individuals. Right. But he can hate behavior. And God he can hate what you do, but not uh-huh. hate you as a person. That's right. <laughs> Which is exactly. the Christian message. That's really. right. That's right. So, um, so God doesn't bring evil into people's lives, but he may allow it. Right. Right? Romans 8.28 uh, says that all things work together for good. It doesn't say all everything thing- is good. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right. It doesn't say everything is good, but it right. does say that all things work together. He so- can use anything, no matter mm-hmm. how bad it is, and turn it around to make it good. Right, because that's what he does. So, if God were the kind of God that could bring evil into lives anytime He wanted. You know, that would be a kind of God to be feared and avoided. Sure. It wouldn't be a God to be worshipped and loved. It's right. not the God of the Bible. We'd be horrified at a God like that. We'd never know from one minute to the next what he's going to do to us. Right. 
which sounds like what you're describing the God of the Koran is capable of. You yes, don't know what he's going to do. God to be feared, that's right. Right, because you don't know what he's going to do from moment to moment. He could, you know, bless you one minute and destroy you the next. That's right, that's right. Now, um, so then another, so, th- so that's this idea of theological volunteerism, and that is an inadequate response to the problem of evil. You can't just say that God can do whatever he wants. That's really right. a poor answer to this problem. Well, here's... That's, a, that's an irrational statement, actually. Right. So another... A bad answer to the problem of evil is um, that you have to have evil in order to have good. Okay. Okay. So this we wouldn't is, recognize what good is if we didn't have evil to compare to it. Right. Exactly right. Yep. If you didn't have shorter, then you wouldn't have taller. If you didn't have bitter, you wouldn't have sweet. Uh huh. Right. So, and, and this is kind of a, a common response. Uh, people who've been exposed to Eastern concepts of yin and yang and Right, would think this too, that there has to be some kind of balance. Everything has an opposite, is what that's saying. Right, And so that's why there's evil. Well, it's really kind of misguided uh, answer. That's not how the Bible describes evil, though. Right, right. It doesn't describe it as the opposite of good, and they're both equal opposites. Right. And it's not this kind of... Um, you know, this idea thinks of good and evil as kind of relational properties, right? Like, um, uh, now what does it mean, relational properties? If I'm the only person uh, left on the planet Earth, am I still tall? Hmm. See, tallness is uh, related to other right. people. That's a right? relative It's statement. relative. I could be short. Right. In this room, I could be short. Mm-hmm. Right or in this room, I could be tall, depending on who else is in the room. You could go among the pygmies in Africa and be tall, and yet go over to the Watusi tribe, and you would be short. Right. <laughs> so it's but, relational. That's right. But is goodness like that? No, it's not. No, no. The, it has, uh, you know, absolute properties to mm-hmm. it. Goodness has is there's something absolute about it. So it doesn't depend on the existence of something else like evil. To show itself off, right? It can still be good without there ever being evil in the world. I've always liked to think of good as anything that's compatible with God's nature is good, and anything mm-hmm. that's incompatible with it is bad, is evil. Right. So there's a standard yes. by which to measure good. That if evil didn't exist, that standard would still be there. That's right. That's right. That standard would be still be there, and right. Or think of it as light and darkness. Right. Okay. You Can, don't have to have darkness in order to have light. That's right. That's right. You right. don't have to have darkness in order to have light. Right. Okay, yep. so light can exist with no darkness whatsoever. Right. Or there can also exist darkness, but it's not uh, like a, a thing in itself. So right. Not like light is. It's so, interesting the way if you're in a dark room, you can light a candle and it will light the whole room up. But you can't go into a light room and create darkness right, right. that will spread across the room the way light does. That's it, right. It's a whole different thing. That's right. That's right. In other words, the light exists on its own, but darkness is the absence of light. Yes. So, so, so darkness is a, what they call a privation of light. Right. It's the it's absence. Not a it's thing like a shadow. Itself. Yeah. It's the absence of something. Mm-hmm. Which is what evil is. Evil is the absence of good. But good 
is not the absence of evil. It's just what it is. It's it right. exists unto itself. Right. So God. So you know, as Christians, we have to be committed to this view because we view God as before the creation of the universe. God existed alone as a trinity of three perfect and loving persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whom there was no evil. Right. So no evil existed prior to— No imperfection. Right. So if goodness needed some kind of evil to exist, um, then that wouldn't be true. So in the Christian view, this is really a bad answer, a bad um, solution to the problem um, of evil. These people are trying to say that the devil is necessary. Yeah, when he, exactly. When exactly. He, he isn't. You know, it's it's like we wouldn't know that God is good without the devil, but the devil was created by God. So at one point the devil didn't exist, but God did. Right. So he didn't obviously didn't need the devil to be who he is. Correct. Absolutely right. All right, so let's look at a third bad answer. Now this one this bad answer was um, first propagated by a philosopher uh, by the name of Leibniz, or Leibniz. I'm not sure exactly how to spell it, so he's been dead for a little while. Um, and he had, he was actually a friend of Isaac Newton's. Uh, he was a uh, physicist as well as a philosopher. Okay. And his view is something called the best of all popular worlds. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, best of all possible worlds. Okay, so his answer was that God created this world as the best of all possible worlds. And so we just have to kind of face up to it, that the amount of evil that's here in this world, uh, even though it's here, this is still the best of all possible worlds. It doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than this. I find that hard to believe. (laughs) Yeah, well, see, um, did you ever read Candide by Voltaire? No. I read it about uh, six, seven uh, months ago, and this is where uh, Voltaire was an atheist, and he writes Candide as as kind of a, a ridicule, a sarcastic ridicule, uh, really of this uh, view, and and mentions it many times throughout the book that this is the best of all possible worlds. He has his character be he calls him Doctor Pangloss. So, you know, pan meaning all over and gloss, just gloss over everything. That's So Dr. Pan gloss simply glosses over all the evil in the world. (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, most philosophers uh, would consider this philosophical view as incoherent today. The next time your car quits in the middle of the Walt Whitman Bridge at... Uh, rush hour. Tell me that's the best of all possible, possible worlds. worlds. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And, you know, you can uh, really see that it's true because if in this best of all possible worlds there are good things, then all you have to do is think of a world like this in which there is one more of those good things, and then that then would be a better world. Mm-hmm. So then this would not be the best of all all possible sure. worlds, because now right. this other world with this one more good thing in it would be a better world. Right. So, and and God didn't say, it, during creation, did God say, and everything was the best it could be? No. No, he said it was good, and then he said it was very good. 
Right. But he did not say it was the best because that would again be incoherent because all he would have to do is add one more. Like if, if adding man made it very good, turned it from good to be very good, then, you know, adding one more man would make it better. Right. So it would have been so there so there isn't really any such thing as best of all possible worlds anyway. Well, if you're just joining us, just tuning in, this is Evidence for Faith, the Christian Evidences and Worldview program. I am Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And we are talking about the problem of evil. Does it prove that God does not exist? And how do we solve this problem? If there's a good God in the world, why is there so much evil? I could answer that in three words. But then the show will be over. No, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why I waited till five minutes of five <laughs> dimension. <laughs> My three words are human free will. Okay. That is why there's evil and suffering. Now, that's the short answer. Yes. The long answer we could go another hour on. Which we will probably do. But the fact is, the fact that we are free agents, we can do what we want, either right or wrong, is why there's a worm in the apple in this world. Because why? we choose yes. to do things that are evil or stupid or whatever you want to call it that God does not approve of, but he allows us the freedom to do it. So talking about, like we, we said, that room all full of light, we are the ones inside that room full of light which have now created a shadow. Yes. We have created the darkness by blocking... God gives us the freedom to blow that candle out if we want to. That's right. To block the light that he's producing. Right. And that creates darkness. Right. So, so in a sense, the light didn't create the darkness. God no. didn't create the darkness. Something else... He made it possible for evil to exist right. by giving us free choice. Mm-hmm. But apparently, he felt that that risk was worth taking... Because that's what he did. He gave us the choice to either follow him or rebel against him. All right. Now, before we get more in-depth on that, because we want to really get into that, we want to really unpack that and exactly what does that mean and aren't there arguments against it? And, um, you know, and then, therefore, then what do we do with this now that we Mm -hmm. know this truth? How does it affect our everyday lives? Let's take a Mm -hmm. look at another one of the bad answers that people will often give. And maybe if you're listening to this, maybe you've told people this in the past. Um, And so we're happy to tell you that you were wrong to tell people this, but (laughs) the answer- This is a bad answer. A bad answer is that all suffering is punishment. Okay, the reason there's evil in the world is because God's punishing those people or you. Okay. And to find this example, all you have to do is read the book of Job in the Bible. Yeah, There's exactly a perfect right. example of this in there. Because? Of three guys who are trying to help their friend Job out, but this is what they believe, that he's being punished for something, and they're trying to figure out, what are you being punished for? Right, right. And that, and what does the book of Job say? That those, God winds up at the end condemning those friends. Right. And saying that they were wrong. Yes. So, um, so... Now, it's true. Jesus also answered this question, too, when he was asked, 
why is this blind man blind? Who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin to cause this? Right. And Jesus said, neither. It doesn't work that way. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, it is true that some... some evil is a natural consequence of sin. So we're not saying that. Um, yes, evil often has negative consequences to it, but not always. That's right. And, and you can't, you know, this is unfortunately back in the 80s when AIDS was first uh, discovered. And I mm-hmm. had actually, t- I took care of, uh, you know, many people know I'm a registered nurse by background. And uh, I did take care of one of the first AIDS victims. Really? Yes, before we really knew what it was. In fact, it wasn't even called AIDS in those days. Wow. And, um, uh, you know, you did hear people saying there were Christians out there who were saying that this was a punishment uh, from God, Mm -hmm. you know, on on the gay lifestyle. Or you could almost substitute anything for AIDS, any disease or any tragedy or whatever. There are people that will say, well, you must have done something wrong to deserve this. Yeah, but this doesn't explain, you know, that how babies then get AIDS from their mothers. Sure. You know, Uh, or what about the innocent uh, people who got AIDS by uh, blood transfusion? Right. So so we don't want to— You can always find contradictions to this, to that idea. Right. So we don't want to— uh, become like Job's friends and, and give this as an answer. No. So, um, and, and I actually wrote down uh, what it says in Job. It says, uh, they said of me that which was not right. So mm-hmm. That's what Job has to say about his friends. They said of me that which was not right. It's not true that all suffering is uh, punishment from God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God doesn't punish the innocent for the sins of the fathers. No. And uh, the verse for that is Ezekiel 18.20. So when we sin, there are consequences, and, um, and, and even some of those consequences might affect our children. For instance, if sure. I go to jail for a sin, a crime, that could affect my family, my children. Sure. So It usually uh, does. When you do something wrong, it usually ends up affecting people around you as well as yourself. Right. That's right. It's almost like a ripple on a pond that can spread out and affect all kinds of people. Well, there's there's three kinds of consequences of sin. Um, theological consequences, right? We rupture mm-hmm. our relationship with God. Right. Um, you know, we start out spiritually dead in sin, and without the pardon of Christ, um, we've, you know, we can't repair that relationship. Right. So then there's there's natural consequences too. You know, if I lie, then I'm not a trustworthy person. I can't be trusted. That's a right. natural consequence of my sin. Um, if I get drunk and drive, well, I'm, I'm, yep. I might kill somebody. Yep. So that'd be a consequence of my sin. Right. So, and then, uh, you know, there's legal problems, um, social issues. So those all kinds of ramifications. Ramifications. That's right. So. But that's a, still a bad answer. Okay. The answer we're going to get into is more of um, what the solution is to the problem of evil. So we'll next get into week. that next week. Kirk and I will delve into that. Well, you've been listening to Evidence for Faith, the Christian Evidence and Worldview program with Keith Kendricks and Kirk Hastings, author and apologist. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. 
And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.